Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify global leaders who are creating impact. We humanize our role models and curate a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. Hello, innovators. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. Today's guest is an inspiring woman who is the perfect example of what it means to start at the bottom and rise to the top. Dawn Jones is Intel Corporation's Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer and Vice President of Social Impact. In this role, she leads the company's global diversity and inclusion strategy. In addition, she oversees Intel's investments and programs for a positive global impact, including convening industry partners to create a more inclusive, equitable, and responsible workplace and society. Dawn's philosophy that leadership is driven from any seat has propelled her 24-year career at Intel from administrative assistant to public affairs manager of community and education investments to chief diversity and inclusion officer. Most recently, Dawn was Global Director of Policy, Strategy, and Partnerships responsible for Intel's DNI policy, strategy, communications, eternal alliances, and stakeholder engagement. She earned a Bachelor of Arts in Broadcast Journalism from Arizona State University and a Master's of Science in Communications Management from Syracuse University. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you, Lisa May. I'm excited to be here and have this conversation with you. I'm excited too. You know, when I was reading your bio, I had that song in my head. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Yes. <laughs> and and actually, when I made BP, my daughter played that song and made me dance around the house <laughs> to it. So I okay, know so, exactly what song you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe I was channeling that. I know I'm not doing Drake any justice, but I kept hearing that in my head and I was just like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Don, before we get to the top, let's take it back to the beginning. Can you tell us where you came from and what kind of childhood did you have? I had a good childhood. I am born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the product of a single parent. It was myself and my brother. And my mom was just a hard worker. I saw her go to work in various industries and jobs just to make sure that she could provide for us. So she set that example pretty on, early on. And then, of course, being a latchkey kid, you have to take on more responsibilities younger. Um, so I just, uh, I really respect my mom and what she did. She always tried to broaden our perspective and take us out from where we currently were and show us different experiences, to show us that there was a, a bigger world out there. So she took us to the symphony. We didn't know anything about the symphony. In Phoenix? In Phoenix. <laughs> they do have a symphony in Phoenix. <laughs> but it was just, she really wanted to expose us to um, opportunities and, and open our perspectives on it's a huge world out there. And she really embodied um, kind of that encouragement around you could do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. Um, just do it with excellence. And it all is grounded in, in hard work. And I saw that from her as an example. And then um, she actually, we grew up in, in what's called South Phoenix. So primarily uh, at that time, it was, uh, population was large uh, Latino and African-American. And then we moved to uh, Mesa or the East Valley uh, because of her job um, where there were you know, less than 1%. Um, so it was a big adjustment for me around junior high. 
I had to learn how to um, navigate differently. I was exposed to different people and different things. And I think that kind of set me up for understanding, um, you know, uh, people in a different way. And how do you relate? And there has to be connection, uh, regardless of color, color and ethnicity. I was really concerned or, or interested in and still am. It's how do you connect with people? Um, because then you can activate and motivate and change perspectives. But you have to get to know people and listen for understanding. That's one of the things that I really try to do is listen for understanding. Uh, during my you know, my growing up phase, I think one of my earliest uh, mentors, I was in a class that was um, a high school class, and it was broadcasting. And the teacher there just opened my eyes to how you can get behind the camera and share people's experiences. And that was the first opportunity that a teacher really sat down and took interest in me and and I would say that Roger Gibbs, I still remember his name, was my first mentor to just help lead and coach. And then I graduated from high school and I didn't go to college. And that first semester, I kind of wandered and I didn't know um, what am I going to do with my life? What, what am I going to be? And uh, I decided to, to enroll myself in community college the second semester out of high school. And one of the biggest mentors that I had in my life, that's still in my life, was someone that I worked for. I was on the work-study program, and she just continued to encourage me to go for it, whatever it was for me. Continue your education. Education is important and key. And so I did, and I continued. It took a little while. I had a couple of children. I got married. I got divorced. I had multiple jobs in different places. And then I landed at Intel um, as yeah. an administrative assistant. That's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, you fast forwarded us so quickly, like you're all oh. grown up with kids <laughs> and divorced. <laughs> yes. It, it actually Damn. didn't take that long in real life. Believe me. <laughs> You know, I mean, there was something that you said earlier about, um, you know, when you were in high school, having this mentor that that really stoked your your interests. And so when you were younger, what were some of your interests? You mentioned broadcasting. What, yeah. what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a CNN analyst. That was <laughs> what I was going to be regardless I'm really good at debate. So everyone was like, you're going to be a lawyer. And I was like, I don't really have any interest in that. Uh, but we can debate, but I want to be an analyst. And then as I started to go through school, I realized that I liked being behind the camera uh, more than I did in front of the camera. So it kind of yeah. changed my perspective. But that, that was my dream. That's what I really wanted to do is be a broadcaster. That's interesting to me because you know, broadcasting is such a drastic change from then going into being an administrative assistant and then climbing up the Intel corporate chain. So, you know, how do you reconcile that? You know, do you still broadcast in front of your mirror? Like, Do you still stoke those fires at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Early on, I found out that, you know, being in front of the camera was just not my comfort zone. It wasn't comfortable for me. And I feel like when you lean into work and you're doing work, it should be comfortable and fun and exciting and tiring and all of those things that come with a very fulfilling career. And I realized early on that just the, the pressure and being under all the lights and cameras just uh, was not as easy as you all make it look when we uh, see you on TV. So <laughs> as I you know, were, you know, navigated life, I actually, prior to coming to Intel, I worked for a minority-owned and operated staffing um, organization. And I grew from there. I started, I, I told my daughter the other day, this must be a pattern uh, because I started as an administrative assistant there. And within three weeks, I was a recruiter and then lead recruiter. And then 
executive assistant. And so I really took that opportunity to just learn and grow and, and thrive. Uh, but it was a high pressure job and I started getting migraines. And I was, like I said earlier, was a single mom and you have to come home and take care of kids and work and you're, it's debilitating. You cannot function. And it was the stress of the job. It was, it was the stress that made me decide to leave. And I was, it was my last day, I was leaving the office and I ran into someone in the, the hallway and she said, you should go apply at Intel. I go through this temp service. And I said, I don't have a tech degree. To be honest, I didn't even finish school. I don't have my full degree yet. So, you know, Intel is a tech company. I don't really think I have the skills. And she said, you could start as an admin, just get your foot in the door. And so I went and applied and took the test. And they called me maybe two days later and said, we have a role for you. And I jumped on it. And so I actually started Intel as a temp admin. Wow. And then That's became like really yeah. <laughs> starting at the bottom because you're not even a, you're not actually an employee of Intel. You're an employee of like Robert Half International yes. or something like that. right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I started there and uh, then applied for a more permanent position. And it was interesting because they were downsizing and I had a week to find another role. And I did 10 interviews in one week that, you know, oh, wow. the, the, the manager of that group really wanted me to stay. So he just said, take this week and go try to find, you know, something more permanent. And Friday came and I had my last interview and I thought, okay, I don't have a job now. I have to go call the service and see if they can place me somewhere else. And then Sunday night, uh, someone called and said, hey, we're going to be making you an offer tomorrow. Just wanted to give you a heads up. And they called on Monday and the rest is history. That's like so incredible to listen to. Like it's down to the wire. You're on the fence of wondering if you have to go find another job. You're about to be unemployed. And then you are saved by the call. I mean, yes. that's just so inspiring to think that you started at a temp agency to get your foot in the door. And now you are you know, you've worked your way up to becoming the chief diversity and inclusion officer. So can you can you kind of carry us over the course of the 24 years of your career there? So I think, you know, when we talk about mentorship and sponsorship, I think it's critical for advancement. And I was in this job as an administrative assistant and my two goals and anyone who asked me, they have never changed. It was to find a company where I could get um, health care for my children and to earn enough money where I could send my kids to college when the time came, because I was single by this time. At that time, my attitude would probably prevent me from getting married to have a dual <laughs> income. So I decided that I needed enough money <laughs> to be able to send my own kids to college. Uh, so that's what I really focused on. Yes, it is. And um, I was talking, we, we attended a meeting for admins and they were talking about levels and, and money and how far you could go. And it, it clearly was not enough to send two children to college, no matter what the time frame was, uh, as, as um, far as me giving my service there. So I raised my hand and I said, well, what are you supposed to do when you hit the, you know, this top of the pay scale? And the leader looked at me very pointedly and said, um, well, if you want to do something different, go back and get your degree. I said, okay. So I went to my manager at the time and just said, hey, I only have a year and a half left. Would you be willing to flex my schedule so I could go finish this so I could continue to further my career? And she said, yes, absolutely. And actually, Intel has a benefit where we will pay for you to finish. Mm -hmm. So Intel paid wow. for me to uh, finish. It was a very tough time. Uh, my kids were um, eight and four when I started. And juggling full-time work, full-time motherhood, and full-time college, because I felt like I, it would take forever just doing one class at a time. So I was taking four classes 
So I got done wow. in three, three semesters, but it was, I probably lasted on four hours of sleep a night. As a matter of fact, when I graduated, I, I thought I was just going to sleep for two weeks because I had been, <laughs> you know, just going on all this adrenaline that didn't happen uh, during this time. I was really trying to find a job with an Intel that aligned with that kind of broadcasting because I didn't want to start a whole new course of study. So I finished out the broadcasting and I landed a role in public affairs. And in public affairs, they had a media team that was responsible for media in Arizona. So I knew that there was a path for the skill set that I had. Again, that manager that I went to work for agreed to continue paying for my school. And so I graduated while I was working in public affairs. I applied for a job as, um, as like an, a media apprentice. And that was my first step into the exempt role within the company and, and started my trajectory and, and helping me to build that financial wealth where I could send you know, two kids to school. And after that, I worked a couple of years as the apprentice, and then I became the media lead. And I thought, if Intel is willing to pay, can I go back and get my master's degree? And it aligned directly with the work that I was doing. My, my master's uh, paper was, uh, what have you done for me lately? A company's uh, corporate responsibility to their communities they serve in. So it was really aligned with the work that was really becoming popular at that time. What are, what are companies' responsibility to the public? So I, I went through there. I, I, I would say in my career, I've worked with four CEOs and wow. being able to facilitate uh, their media engagements when they came to to Arizona. So that was an amazing experience. I learned a lot from from each of them. During the course of all this growth and progression, I cannot stress enough the benefit of having sponsors, yeah. people that are in those rooms that are speaking on your behalf that you may not know that are even advocating for you. And a sponsor's job is made easier by delivering and delivering with excellence. You know, I used my mother as an example and I went to work every day and gave it my all. Even on those frustrating days, I was making sure that I delivered the work that this company hired me to do. And yeah. it showed and I was able to grow um, out of that. You know, as I'm listening, you know, first, uh, I, I'm so impressed that that Intel was able to support you through your, you know, higher education. And I realized that I'm working for the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> There's it's something to be said about working for yourself. OK, know, right? Let's, like, don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm just like, hey, wait a minute. You don't do yeah. that. Um, but, but, but I think like, it's really, um, it, it, it's also, I think a corporate responsibility. Like I feel companies should be investing in their people and, and, and raising them up to be, as you just mentioned, like in, to be able to deliver excellence. Um, and so like, that's my biggest takeaway from that. So thank you for sharing. That's so inspiring. Um, oh, thank you. It's yeah. It's been a journey. And, and I think, you know, as an employee, you have to understand the value that you bring and never be afraid to, to talk on it. So, you know, I was doing work and I thought that I should be promoted more quickly. Uh, and I talked on it and I spoke to mm -hmm. my leaders about it and said, okay, what do I need to do? So being very clear about you know, by this time, my my oldest daughter was a sophomore in high school. I knew she was about to reach that college age and those bills were going to come due. And I just wanted to make sure that I was being um, appropriately uh, kind of moved through the company based on the value that I was bringing to my specific work at that time. 
And I will say that I have felt over the 24 years that I've worked for this company that it has been tough. Working in tech is tough, but I have had some amazing opportunities to do just work on really big, impactful projects. But I've always used my voice for myself and for others to make that a reality for me. Yeah, you know, as a leader, you are an advocate for all voices. And uh, you're a firm believer that everyone has the responsibility to lead from their seat, no matter their role or position at a particular company. So how does one lead from their seat? It's difficult for some. It, it, it wasn't difficult for me because another one of those mother nuggets was you have a voice, use it to help yourself and use it to help other people. So I've never really been the type that is intimidated to speak out if I feel something is right or wrong or neutral. I think in the work that I am driving with my team, with my company until to, to focus on a more equitable uh, company, more inclusive, more diverse, one of the keys that we all uh, could lean into and, and do a better job of is listening. And listening for understanding, not listening to respond. Because when you really pause to listen, we're all dealing with a lot of the same issues. Yeah. But when you, when you listen to respond, a lot of time you miss the point. And so for me, I've always used my voice. I've never been afraid to raise my hand. I've never been afraid to offer my perspective. Now, doesn't mean you're going to take it, but I have one and I would like to offer it along with everyone else's and be considered. So for me, navigating my career, I was always very, very clear. I actually had uh, an amazing experience working in the public affairs team. I stayed in that team for 14 years of my career. And 11 oh, wow. of those years, I had the same leader. And every time we, we would talk about, uh, it was time for our review process and we would sit down and I would say, okay, what do I need to do to get to the next level? And she would blush and she would say, okay, this is what you need to do. And then a little further along, she would say, are you gonna ever stop asking that question? And I said, no, because that would stop my growth. <laughs> I'm going to always ask what I need to do to get to the next level. So I've just always felt like I belong in whatever space I'm in. And I have a voice and I use it. So when I promote this concept of lead from your seat, you have to have a voice and an opinion and the strength to represent yourself and your opinion in the situations that you are in, because no one else is going to do it for you, even those sponsors. In order to gain a sponsor, you have to reach out. You have to let them know you and your work product. And so you have to advocate for yourself. And I found that I have been my best advocate. Yes. Yes. Taking us to church, Don. You do. You do. You. You have to be an advocate for yourself. You know, I think that is, that's a Don nugget um, <laughs> there because, <laughs> you know, I love that you, like you go to your managers and you say like, what do I need to do to get to the next level? That's setting yourself up for success. That's giving your, you, you know, a, 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 a pathway forward. And it's, it's, and I'm inspired by that because even thinking about like, you know, the way that I work with my partners, I think that's a perfect example of being able to say like, so what do I need to be a successful partner? Um, how can we both set ourselves up for success? What do we need from each other? Because relationships are, uh, you know, a circular or, you know, a street. Um, you have to give and receive and give and receive. So yes. I, I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by that. Oh, thank you. So not to put any pressure, but you lead DEI practices for one of the largest tech companies in the world. 
So what do you feel it takes to develop best workforce um, representation practices and how do you intend to lead the way? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. We know that tech specifically has spent hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to crack this uh, more diverse and inclusive workforce. I would say in the last three years, it has piqued uh, a lot of um, investors' interest. Our customers are wanting to see a more diverse workforce. Uh, our suppliers, our vendors. When we talk about diversity and uh, inclusion, I think it's important to note that diversity is really about representation. What do the people look like that are at your company? Are they representative of your customers, your consumers, your stakeholders, other uh, your industry workforce? And then inclusion really is not only about how are you integrating them into whatever culture they need to go in, but how are you creating a culture for all employees to thrive? Because we don't, we don't want to um, make it a negative experience for those employees that we are bringing in. But we also have to ensure that the culture is right to support those employees. And it's a, it's a tough job. It's not, it, we're working with the human condition. And when you get down to the granular level, there are decisions that are made by people. And so in order to impact this work, you have to impact people. You have to listen for understanding. You have to create solutions that may not be the big fancy um, kind of marketing solution. You have to create solutions that are embedded in a company systems. Because we know that this work, people come and go. And you may have a very supportive leader that um, is all in for what we're trying to accomplish. And then the next leader may not be so. So how do you continue to have an equitable system? You have to embed it in your company's processes and systems and your culture, yep. because we know that just hiring a bunch of insert here, women, people of color yeah. is not gonna solve your challenges if yeah. you can't retain them. Okay. And if you don't have a system where they can progress like I did, and that is all rooted, I, I believe, in people respecting value. The people that I worked for, the reason why I was able to navigate is I landed in places where people valued the contributions that I made to the team. Yeah. I don't have a magic answer. If I did, we would all be fully diverse and inclusive. And we may not, I might work myself out of a job, actually, if that were to be the case, which is okay with me if our companies are, are reflective of society. I, I do think that there is an opportunity. We've learned a lot, right? Although we hear a lot, you're going too slow. It's not enough. There are not enough people in X categories. You're right. There aren't, you're right, we are going too slow. I do think that as we continue to evolve and innovate and 2020 kind of set us all down. Yeah. In so many ways, we're all virtual. We had the social unrest, we had the politics, we've had climate change. We've been in our homes for 16 months. This is what I would call a strategic inflection point to really sit back and think about how you could do this work differently for the future. And the future looks like companies coming together to collaborate and extend and, and have shared goals and metrics around this work. Because right now, DNI is not standardized across the board. And I'll give you a quick example. If we talk about tech women, at Intel, tech women might be master's and PhD level that is working in a technical discipline. At another company, they may classify tech women as their retail store experts. 
that are helping people with their technology. Both are tech, but if we want to get a clear view of the women that are working uh, in tech, in a tech field, we need to have a standard baseline on what tech means for all companies. So I think we have a unique opportunity to drive different outcomes through this collective effort that nets shared value across the industry. I I am so right with you. And if people could see me, I, I'm just like smiling and I'm nodding emphatically. And my arms are going up. And she's like, dancing. Yes. Yeah, I'm <laughs> dancing. I, I, I'm very expressive. Um, <laughs> But but it because you're I mean it's so true and 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 I I have referred to this time period of of us having to like literally redefine and rebuild and reassess as the great economic renaissance because not since the renaissance period have we had a real opportunity to reimagine every aspect of our culture our economy our lives the way we interact with each other. Um, and so if we allow this period to be this great period for innovation, it can be. And so that's what I'm most excited about. Yes, I, I agree. And we have so many challenges that we didn't even have two years ago, right? People are not working from home. They're living at work. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you. They're, they're, you know, they literally wake up and go into a different room. I'm at work and then I leave that room and I'm at home again. And the mental health implications of being at home for 16 months and the flexibility in the, in the workforce now and, and what are companies doing to ensure that they retain that talent, the number of women live in the workforce uh, and making different decisions. You know, we used to be very concerned when you know, uh, women or people of color were leaving the workforce and, you know, what's driving it? Is it money? Is it, is it experience? Is it culture? Now it's all over the place. It's, it's family. It's, I have an ailing parent and I want to spend my last time with them. I don't want to be on a computer. I have a young child that by being home, I now realize that I need to be home in a more intentional way to do what I want to do for my family. And so we have all this competition that we're trying to figure out how do we retain this great talent in the workforce, but also we have to be present as companies to address um, the difficulties that employees are now facing and probably will be facing for the next, next few years, I would think. Well, we have our work cut out for us. Yes, so we're we going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women segment. Today's Pioneering Woman is Flossie Wongstall. Flossie Wongstall was a Chinese-American virologist and molecular biologist and was the first scientist to clone HIV and determine the function of its genes. This proved to be a major step in proving that HIV is the cause of AIDS and for over a decade, she held the Florence Riffer Chair in AIDS Research at the University of California, San Diego. Despite no woman in her family having ever worked outside the house, Wong Stahl was encouraged by her parents to excel in science, and she graduated cum laude from the University of California, Los Angeles in bacteriology in just three years. She then went on to pursue a PhD in molecular biology and began working at the National Cancer Institute where she began her research on retroviruses. Wong Stahl has been named one of the 50 most extraordinary women scientists by Discover and as number 32 of the top 100 living geniuses by the Daily Telegraph. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Flossie Wong Stahl. Hello, innovators. We are back with Don Jones talking about growing up in the desert, living our best Drake life, and building best practices to build a diverse workforce. You know, you know, as we were just talking about, you know, we've experienced quite a lot of trauma with systemic racism, police brutality and murders, 
political unrest, all while battling a pandemic, which has upended not only the workforce, as we just discussed, but our economy and our entire lives. And so how has this personally impacted you? And how do you lead from that space? You know, it's been, I am a, a social person. I, I have a true interest in humanity and people, all people. I, you know, I just, I thrive on understanding the human condition and how I can help. I'm also a fixer. I want to engage and help where I can. So personally, being at home for the length of time, I think March 16th, 2020 was when I first, you know, when we were first given kind of the start working from home directive. It's been tough. You know, you, you think you want to work from home when you're driving into work every day and you're like, if I could just work from home. But then when you're kind of forced to work from home, it's very different. It's been tough because uh, just to, to share, I'm not great about my own self-care. So, you know, not going to the spa day and doing things that you should be doing to de-stress, relax. I'm getting better. I have a lot of great support that people just ping me and say, did you schedule a spa for, for this month? I know you, you need one. Um, so knowing that, at first it was very difficult because I just worked. I just, you know, oh, now I can get online at 5 a.m. And I don't have to get off until, you know, 8 p.m. My children are adults. There's no one else you know, my husband is here. I did finally get married eventually. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so uh, it was tough to adjust. And then I started to realize that I had to set my own boundaries. So what is your work day? Put the phone away. Uh, and it's those little things that you don't realize that help to de-stress. De when, you, when you're out, when you take those few days off, be off completely. I think when we talk about uh, the leadership of the team and, and the work, it's tough to motivate people in a virtual environment through all of the things that you just mentioned before you kind of introduce this topic. You know, where, where we used to go to happy hours to celebrate or to de-stress. Can't now do it's that. Now happy hour all day. <laughs> now it's happy hour. As long, as long as your camera is turned off, you never know, you know, but yeah. And, and you know, so I think personally, the, the biggest adjustment for me um, was being more accustomed to not having the people interaction the way that I think um, helps me to thrive and gives me energy to just bring it all to work every day. And how do you adjust in this very intentional environment? If, I, if we were in the halls together and I saw you, we could go grab a cup of coffee. Now, if I want to engage with you, I have to intentionally reach out to you to, to make that connection. And this situation also makes me think of our diverse employees and our employees, just in general, our employees and our workforces, that if we don't have leaders and managers and, and other employees, frankly, that are making that um, decision to intentionally reach out, there are those that are just kind of out there on an island, if you will. And, and I will say, especially early on, the thing that really got me excited about this kind of virtual environment was people truly checked on each other. They truly kind of got on the call and said, I know your mom was sick. How's she doing? Whereas that may not have happened at work in a conference room or when you're passing by someone. But this was a way for people to stay connected and come together and support each other in these times that this was the great equalizer, right? Everyone yeah. was going through it, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, economic status. We all were feeling it, and it kind of leveled the playing field for us to be more vulnerable with each other and find out and check in on each other as well. 
Yeah, I agree with you. You know, something you said about um, really setting those boundaries and, and as you mentioned, you know, living at work um, where I have to continuously check myself as well. I, you know, I'm, I, I am known to like work around the clock anyway. So if you give me my computer, I'm in my, you know, I'm in my office bedroom now. I have two rooms and I'm like, okay, you move from one room to the next. And it's like, you know, but the, the interesting thing is, 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 is I recently started to create that time to be off, as you mentioned, and that has made all, and actually I felt so guilty. So if you have tips for that later, Don, I'm going to need to learn that. Because like, <laughs> it's like, I do, I did finally give myself some time off and I even took a sabbatical very, very recently where I was completely like kind of off and I felt bad because I felt like my team was like out there in this island, as you mentioned. And I'm like, but I needed it, you know, not to feel guilty, but you know, this, this, this environment that we're in right now has really also forced me to confront the things like mental health, like burnout, like what does, like what really feels good to me? Because the, the, the sense of time is so much more pronounced than it ever was. Yes. And, and I would say a tip, I can imagine that you have hired a great team. You have to empower them and let them leverage their skill sets to prove to you that we can do this. And I know sometimes we think we don't micromanage, but that's kind of micromanaging when you say, well, I can't leave because my, my team won't be able to thrive. Actually, they're probably like, Phew, I'm glad she's gone. Now I can actually do what I want to do to get this, this project done. So I think that's worked for me. I've had to realize that I have very capable people that once I let go and empower them, they will do exactly what they need to do. And if it's urgent, which there's nothing urgent that, you know, I'm going to be able to fix for a, a company the size of Intel, uh, they would reach out. But they really respect the time. They really are not reaching out. They're not calling after hours. I think as, as leaders, sometimes we also have to let go in that we have empowered people to do certain things and we need to allow them to do it and be okay with it. So I'm glad you took a sabbatical and, you know, continue to take those breaks because I, I think people like us probably have this tendency to work around the clock and we're fixers and we want to make change and we want to impact. And if we're not doing something, we feel like we're not doing anything and that's not true. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes you not doing something. My soul, Don. I yes. Feel <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I didn't mean to expose you, but, <laughs> but I don't mind. <laughs> that's, yes. what, that's, that's, that's the power of vulnerability. Yes. Because, you know, at Wonder Woman Tech, we, I mean, we, that's part of our ethos. Like we believe being vulnerable is an invaluable strength to have and lead with. So can you share something with us that you've never shared with anyone before? Whoa. I don't think I've shared this before. I don't really like conflict. I try. Oh. And, you work with and people. people don't believe that about me because I have no problem speaking my mind and I have no problem engaging in debate. But I also had to um, get to a point at, through skills development for myself that where is that mutual gains negotiation? Where, because I just don't like this aggressive, in-your-face conflict. I feel like you can have a dissenting opinion and we can have some very um, lively debate but there is a level of respect, I feel personally, that should be had when you're having those debates. And so when the conflict rises above that level of respect, or you, know, you could say drops below that level of respect, it makes me very uncomfortable. And it's something that I work on, again, because of uh, just who I am naturally. I'm very vocal 
I say what's on my mind, but I also make sure that I do it in a balanced and respectful way. So what people don't really know about me is I don't, I don't like conflict. I engage in it. If it comes to me, I'm ready for it, but it's just not a comfort zone. And I do know people who actually thrive on it and, you know, it, it's something okay for them. And th that's how they get their points across. But for me, I would prefer to have just a conversation and figure out where can we come to a mutual understanding uh, about what each of us are, are trying to accomplish. So. Well, I think you're in the perfect role because definitely when it comes to really creating inclusive environments, you have to, you have to have these, these opportunities for discussion that are respectful and you can have dissenting, you know, opinions, have differences and still be able to come to some sort of space where you can agree to disagree yes. or, you know, or find a common thread that can unite and bond you versus as you mentioned, this aggressive, you know, tug of war that where no one wins. So I don't blame you for not liking conflict. <laughs> yeah, I just that is, you know, but but because I'm so vocal, people assume that, you know, she's ready to go into battle all the time. And it, it's not necessarily true. It's very interesting because we get um, some dissenting opinions through email at work. I don't like to respond in email because I think that we read our own yep. narrative while we're reading. Oh, this is too sharp or this person has an attitude or whatever that is. So generally when I receive those kind of emails, which again, that's a, it's, it's conflict all over it. I have to take a deep breath and then I say, let's schedule a call. And I found that even though in an email, it may come across more aggressive, when you have a conversation, people engage differently when you respect them. I have had so many dissenting opinions and views about some of the work, some of the programs, some of the people that have been implemented and just getting on a phone call with someone where they, they in the call with thank you for listening because we tend not to listen right we want we want to get our point across and i want you to listen to me but if your point is not aligned with mine that listening gene might might not be turned on and so i really as i'm trying to navigate the conflict i listen for understanding because there's a root cause there's something that's making you so upset about whatever the issue is, let's get to that because generally it's not even what we thought it should. It's not even what we're arguing about or what we're what we're having this tense conversation <laughs> about. And so that's kind of how I try to navigate it. It's so true. And people should be doing that for text messages as well, because I'm telling you, I'm like constantly explaining text messages and I and I'm like, let's hop on a call. You know, and <laughs> it brings to mind like what Brene Brown, who I just absolutely love and who studies vulnerability and shame and all of that. Um, she 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 says, you know, the story I'm telling myself is, you know, so it's an opportunity to like to say like, this is how I'm interpreting yes. like what you're telling me or what you've just shared. Please give me an opportunity to understand where you're coming from. And so, ah, oh, I love that. So you quite literally are living the American dream, getting your foot in the door with the company you believe in and who believes in you and working your way diligently to the top. So if you had to do it all over again, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? Ooh. I think because of my personality, I would probably take the road less traveled. I like to be challenged. I like to have challenges. And although they were difficult in the moment. I mean, if you can just go back and think about, there's not enough hours in the day, you're going to school full time, you're raising two children and you're working full time. You, you, as you're going through it, you think it's the hardest thing in the world and how can you ever get out of this and 
and improve. But then you get to the end, which was graduation at that point, And you're like, what's next? Um, and so for me, I would take the road less travel because I always pick the toughest people to grade my papers in school. I pick the toughest advisor to be my advisor on my uh, master's project. I find mentors and sponsors that are doing great work, but are that think differently than me because I know I have my own biases and my own perspective. So I'm probably a road a road less traveled person. Although when I'm in the heat of it, I'm probably like, why did I pick this this road to go down? <laughs> yes, we all are like. Oh, why did I walk this path? Why yes, ma'am. Did I turn yeah. left? <laughs> why did I turn right when I should have made that left in Albuquerque? Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's been so fun hanging out with you, Don, and just learning like what it really is like to to plant seeds and blossom and bloom where you're planted. But not just that but ask for the kind of water that you need to grow. You know what yes. I mean? Ask for the, the right conditions, the right amount of sunlight, you know, to, to, to really bloom and grow and to become an exec, a tech exec, because that's who you are, leading the next generation, leading the way for, you know, what could very well likely be a legacy for other companies to model. So thank you for showing up and being such an amazing role model. And I look forward to watching you continue to bloom and, and grow. Thank you. And I, and I really appreciate you having me here, pulling me out of my comfort zone and, and giving me a platform to share my story. If it can impact anyone, uh, that is amazing to me because I believe in people and I think we have great potential. And I look forward to just uh, helping to support you in any way I can. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Started from the bottom, now we're hip. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here, innovators. Make sure you give us a like and share the podcast with your network. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time.